Welcome to Always Andersonville, the podcast. I'm Laura. I'm Sarah. Today we are joined by Shelly Ave, Vice President of Mortgage Lending at Guaranteed Rate. Following the motto, it doesn't cost a penny to look, Shelly is well known for her ability to communicate and to champion the home buyer through the entire process. A longtime Andersonville resident, you have probably seen Shelly in the neighborhood walking her two English Mastiffs. Welcome, Shelly. Thank you for having me. We don't um, often do this, but we thought it might be a nice treat to bring back the lightning round, which we did with your good friend, Sarah Gobanian. Um, and we've also done it with Amanda Norcross. So are you ready for some quick and easy questions? They should be. Let's do this. Okay, here we go. Always early or always late? Always early. Pool party or playing pool? Playing pool. Tennis shoes or heels? Heels. Lady Gaga or Katy Perry? Lady Gaga. Ferris Bueller's Day Off or Pretty in Pink? Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Queen or The Beatles? Queen. All day, every day. Puppy or kitten? Puppy. Tea or coffee? Tea. Favorite lipstick shade? Bear Pink. Mm. What brand is that? Um, Bobby Brown. Okay, there you go. International or domestic travel? Are you a local girl? I'm a local girl. Let's go domestic. Favorite place to visit? <laughs> There's so many. After we told you, you have to stay domestic. <laughs> uh, probably uh, Colorado. And what is your superpower? I can remember words to songs after hearing them one time. That's amazing. Wow. I can't do that. Mm -hmm. I screw them up all the time. Just yeah. songs or is that like... Could be a poem or like a written word too. You know, it's, it's, um, no, it's pretty much songs. It has to have a melody to it. Yeah. Do you have a favorite song? That's impressive. Favorite. No, not favorite, but I remember when I was a kid, I sat down and I memorized all the words to American Pie, but you can't ask me to sing. Okay. <laughs> my favorite song growing up. This is delving a little bit in too much into my personal history and life, but, um, Man Eater. That was the, <laughs> I had a 45 and I used to. <laughs> I'm sorry, I can't top that. You win. You officially win. All the time. On repeat. I never went to the B-side. I don't even remember what was on it. I don't even know it. what the B-side of Maneater is. Yeah, right? You don't know. Yeah. Okay. It's a good song, though. Good job. We need to have an episode just about this, Laura, but moving on. <laughs> well, Shelly, that was such a fun way to start, and we're so excited to have you here today. Why don't you start by telling us about yourself and your background? You're originally from the Midwest, Indiana. But yeah, tell us about where you come from. Yep. So I am originally from central Indiana, from Pendleton and Anderson, Indiana. It's about 20 minutes northeast of Indianapolis. Um, I moved to Chicago after college. For as passionate as I am about what I do for a living, my big thing is dogs. I have always loved dogs. I will. And if money didn't matter, I would go and rescue dogs all day, every day. Um, so those are the top two things. If anyone, if you were to ask anyone what they know about me, those are the two things. And do you currently have dogs at home? I do. I have uh, two English Mastiffs. I have one who is older. His name is Big Ike, and he is about 175 pounds. And then I have Boris Von Drool, who is two years old and is 225 pounds. So if you've seen us on the street, it's pretty sure you haven't forgotten us. <laughs> we make a pretty decent presence down the street. That's amazing. And what did you do before you joined Guarantee Rate? How did you get into the world of finance? Yep. So when I left college, I got in the retail world. 
And but what I did in the retail world is I worked in the mannequin industry. And from the looks also an amazing movie. Yeah. (laughs) True, true. Um, Pretty much from the looks on your faces, I can tell that you've never met anyone who's maybe done that kind of job in their life. But it's it was a great industry. My clients were Kohl's Department Store, Sears, Carson Perry Scott, and we sold thousands of these things over the years. And as much as it is a business, there are some very crazy stories that go along with it. For example, there was one time where I had to have a meeting up in Milwaukee, and the whole point of the meeting was we were going to talk about nipples. Like, I hope I didn't just give you guys like an FCC fine for you, saying you that did. word. You did. Okay, That's good. okay. okay good. We'll bill you for it. All right. Perfect. <laughs> Um, so I remember I, in the back seat of my car, I had three female torsos, and one was let's call her natural. <laughs> something coming out of Milwaukee, it yeah. sounds like Jeffrey Dahmer. Yeah. <laughs> oh. so true. Or like how I smuggle new Glarus <laughs> over the border nowadays. <laughs> and then the girl in the middle was, you know, she was fifty percent sanded down, and then there was the other girl who was a hundred percent sanded down. So we get into this meeting, and I'm kind of sitting in the back of the room, and in the front of the room, there are all these executives, and they're very serious and talking about, you know, what's most important and we're a family store. And I remember sitting in the back room thinking, is is this really my life? Is, is this really what I do? You know, I'm not really, you know, changing lives by doing this. Um, so several years of that, there were also, there was a really funny story. Even though I had been to New York City several, several times, I'd never been to Staten Island. Well, Kohl's was opening up a store in Staten Island. And my job was to go in and bring new kind of experimental things into the store. So I'm getting finished, and you know how you feel someone watching you? I turn around, and there's this woman standing there, and she has kind of this fuzzy mullet, let's call it, electric blue eyeliner. She's got blue stirrup pants on, and she looks at me, and she's like, hey, who are you? And I kind of walk over to her. I'm terrified, and I kind of give her my best Midwestern gal, you know, explanation for what I'm doing. And she looks at me and she goes, oh, so all the work I did was for nothing. <laughs> and so I basically spent the rest of the day trying not to get my butt kicked by Debbie. So, I thought you weren't dating yourself with <laughs> your electric blue eyeliner and your stirrup <laughs> leggings. Okay, so I gave it away just a little bit. I also want to go back to your superpower because I feel like a New York accent should be on that list. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll never forget Debbie. And the jump from the mannequin industry yep. to finance. So basically what I did, I had some very good friends that owned a mortgage company. And mm-hmm. as my life was changing, you know, certain things were happening in my life that were changing. It was just time for a change, you know. Um, so that's kind of how I got into it. And I never looked back. Well, that's amazing. As we stated in the intro, Shelley, you live in Andersonville. How long have you called it home? And what do you love most about it? So I've lived in Andersonville for 16 years. I moved here in February of 2003. I was in the process of trying to figure out where to move. And I had a friend, Jenny, who actually lived up on Bryn Mawr. And I know she, Jenny. You know Jenny? <laughs> everybody knows Jenny. Um, and she would tell me about how she would take her dog to the bank and she would take her dog into the stores. And I thought, I think that's where I need to live. Because where I was living at the time, that was totally unheard of. So it is the most dog-friendly neighborhood in this entire city. So I've moved here and I've never, never gone back. And it's interesting, over 13 years, I've seen a lot of things change in this neighborhood. I've seen a lot of businesses come and go and some wonderful businesses that are here now. And there's just something about this neighborhood that no matter how big it gets, there's still a very small neighborhood feel to it. Just this past year, um, I think Todd Mack, who owns Foresighted, 
he doesn't really know me. I mean, I know him just from going in the store several times. So it was two Saturdays before Christmas. A couple years ago, my dad passed away and I found a very special kind of love letter that he had written to my mom that I didn't know about. It was very special to her, but it was sitting in this box and it had kind of yellow on the edges. And I thought, okay, I'm gonna get this framed for my mom. So I took it into him. It's like I said, the Saturday before Christmas, the place is packed, packed wall to wall with people. And he himself is helping me. And so he can kind of tell as we're talking and my anxiety level is level 10 because I thought, oh my gosh, what if, what if the person framing it spills coffee on it? I mean, just this crazy, you know, you think of crazy stuff. And he could tell that I was a little anxious about it. So I paid him a rush fee and he said, all right, well, it'll be done in about a week. Two hours goes by and he calls me and he says, it's done. This guy stopped, Todd stopped what he was doing on one of the busiest Saturdays of his entire year to get that framing job done because he knew I was so worried about it. So it's pretty neighborhood to me and that's pretty mm. special. So I think that's a great example of kind of what I feel like this neighborhood's about. We always say at the chamber, when you arrive in Andersonville, you know you've arrived someplace special. And I think both Laura and I have been, you know, we've been long-term residents as well. And uh, I love that feeling of like, you've been here for 13 years, but you can still walk down the street and have that warm, fuzzy feeling where you're like, well, I actually live here. Mm -hmm. It's so amazing. So it's great to hear you talk about that in that story. Yeah, Definitely I, I really feel like that, that. All that's very true. Very true. Speaking of community, you have a knack for encouraging investment into the community, most notably through bringing home buyers and bringing businesses to Andersonville. Will you share with us some stories of the people you've put into home ownership in Andersonville and what has made that process special? Sure. So first, I'll tell you that 100% of my business is from referrals. So that's really all about going out into the community, doing good work, and having the people that you do the work for tell all their family and friends so that you can continue on. So I had one person that we're going to talk about is Sarah Gorbani, and she's a good friend of mine. She's the owner of RE Chiropractic here in Andersonville and pretty much a lifelong resident. I met her at an Andersonville Chamber event. We started talking and I got to know her a little bit. And she comes from a family who her father immigrated into the country and through hard work and a lot of financial savvy, he ended up... Uh, investing in multi-unit buildings and you know providing some really good housing for people in the community so she kind of wanted to take that legacy and make it her own so we did her first deal together and anyone who's in the mortgage world you want to try to keep it as simple as possible well sarah's situation she was self-employed we had multiple sources of income we had more investment properties than i could count on both hands and i always joke that their tax return rivaled the Old Testament for the number of pages. So it was a deal that had all the makings of potential disaster all over it. On the seller's side, the woman was pregnant. And so there was no wiggle room on being able to get the deal done and being able to close on time. And in fact, on the day of closing, she went into labor. So I think it was kind of after we got that first deal done together, because she's self-employed, there are certain challenges. And she was a great example of someone who said, okay, what do I need to do to get the next property and the next property? And so, you know, since then, I think uh, last year we closed on another one for her. So she's been a great example of someone who really took the tools and was really able to make something happen with it. And again, so she's, she's a lifelong resident. She's putting renters in the community who are supporting the businesses and the restaurants. So after I met Sarah, she introduced me to her friends, Nick and Kevin. Nick and Kevin were getting ready to get married. They were getting ready to get their first condo together. But one of them had 
some credit challenges. There were some debt challenges. There were freelance work challenges. I mean, you just everything in the book was lining up against them. So we get them into a good program. And about a week before we close, the building status on their condo had changed. And the loan that they were going to be in was no longer going to work. So here they are. They're getting ready to go to Prague. And I'm telling them that we have to restart everything over again because of the building status change. And I can't remember what I said to them, but it was basically like, go get married. We'll figure this out. And so what they did is they went on their cruise. And every time they hit a port, they would get to a computer. They would get me everything I needed. We closed 12 hours after they landed back in the United States. They moved in the next afternoon. And two days later, they hosted uh, their wedding reception at their new condo. And also, too, so fast forward with them, that was three years ago. And now they just refinanced. They have a great equity position. And they're just getting ready to close on a beachfront condo, a second home for themselves. So again, they were great examples of saying, okay, what do we need to do to get from point A to point B? And they were able to get there. So I'm pretty proud of, I'm proud of both of them uh, for what they've been able to accomplish. But I'm pretty proud of being able to put those people in the neighborhood. It sounds like you also have a special skill set for um, you know, anybody who's maybe not like a cookie cutter story or experience, you know, taking them through the process of getting the best mortgage possible and making it a simple process. Do you have like one piece of advice for somebody that is starting that process and might not feel like, you know, I wouldn't be a good candidate for this? Like, what would you tell that person? I think a lot of people tend to count themselves out before they even try. That's very common. They think, oh, well, I have student debt. I can't do this. Well, come, let's talk about it first. And Shelly, we know kind of like the real estate market itself has gone through a bunch of changes. And can you tell us what it's like to try to get a mortgage these days and how it is different from, say, 10 years ago? Well, 10 years ago, it was a total disaster. Um, this was post-crash. Um, the restrict There were so many unreasonably tight requirements. Since then, obviously, things have sprung back. Things have changed a little bit. So it's a little more reasonable now. The one thing I tell anybody who's getting ready to go on this, let's call it trip, is that you have to look at it like a court of law. It doesn't matter what you tell me. It only matters what you can prove. So that's the one thing you have to think about all the way through. It only matters what you can prove. So I would also tell everybody, you have to, first of all, understand that whatever you tell me, I can't tell anybody else. So you have to, it's, it's almost like a relationship you would have with a lawyer. Um, I am sort of sworn to your financial secrecy. So you have to be really honest about where you've been and kind of where you want to go. And you have to also trust that person. For some people getting into this, you know, it's kind of like their parents bought a house 20 years ago and all they think about is interest rate. All some people think about is down payment assistance. What everyone should be thinking about, though, is someone who's going to be there for you seven days a week, anytime, day or night. The real estate industry is not banking hours. It's not nine to five. And in fact, recently I read an article that said that 75% of people make major financial decisions on a Sunday night. And think about it. <laughs> you're winding down from the weekend. You're thinking about your upcoming week and you're starting to think about you know, goals and things that you want to do and what are we going to do this summer and what's happening this fall. So you know, you need someone there on a Sunday. You can't imagine how my phone blows up on a Sunday night. <laughs> so you have to have someone who's going to be there and to be able to walk you through that. I've got clients who need zero handholding. I've got people who want me to talk them down off the ledge. So my job is sort of part financial wizard, part investigator, part therapist, 
but almost always it's creative problem solver. That is so fascinating about Sunday nights. I'm so glad you <laughs> shared that. I think I gotta, you know. I mean, maybe my not Sunday during game is like not on point. I not guess. during Game no, of wait. Thrones season, yeah. oh, but I might not answer my phone on Sunday night during football season. But so I'm yeah, gonna, I'm gonna block just out. Just joking, just joking. Keep calling me. It's fine. Yeah, I'm gonna block out 8 p.m. to 10 p.m. this Sunday. Major <laughs> financial decisions <laughs> is gonna be. Yeah, yeah I, think that's I a love good it. Call. Okay, I that's a good call. Great. Scratch the bath. <laughs> <laughs> we wanted to ask you one of the um, legislative topics in Illinois right now that people might be hearing a lot about is the attempt to repeal the 1997 rent control ban. And as somebody with your experience and in the real estate world, what are your thoughts on this? Well, uh, first of all, I'll say that it's a very politically and emotionally charged topic. So I would like to gear my answer towards the economic um, effects of that legislation. Right now, there are about four bills circulating out there in Illinois. Different legislators have put together different versions of it. And what you've got is our real estate market. I mean, it's, it's an open market. It's a free market. So what that means is that when it's out of balance, it will correct itself. So for example, when we had the crash, prices went into the tank. When the market started to come back, prices started to go up. So it corrects itself. When it's a renter's market or when it's a buyer's market or seller's market, it all corrects itself. But what you've got now is you've got people, and affordable housing is a problem, but it's not just a problem for renters. Think about it. What's the first bill you pay every month? It's either your rent or your mortgage. That's the first thing that gets paid every single month. So we'll, the affordable housing issue is not unique to Illinois. It's not unique to Chicago. And it's certainly not unique to renters. It's, it's a global issue for everybody every single month. And while I do believe that there's a problem, I don't necessarily think from an economic perspective, restricting that free market is the way to go. Um, when you've got a board of people who tell you how much you can charge and what you can do, I think that that what it's going to do is it's going to drive money out of Illinois, which is the last thing we need right now. So I think there are other ways to address the challenge. It's a touchy subject, so I'm, I'm trying to be careful yeah. how I answer it. No. Yeah. Um, so what's going to happen is with this legislation, yes, there are places you can go. Um, but it's very tedious to read those bills. So in fact, for me, I'm not a legislator. I actually went to a conference out in Lombard the Sunday before Thanksgiving, and they broke it down as to here's what this bill means. And it was no one in their right mind would ever invest in Illinois if they knew if, if these regulations are in place. You wouldn't. They're going to seal all eviction records so you don't know that you're renting to someone who's been evicted before. They're going to tax you per unit to pay for the rent control board. And not only that, they're telling you they're going to adjust your rent. So they're taking money out of your pocket that way. You can only increase it, the I think it's um, the rate of the consumer price index. So if they take all that money and you're getting taxed and you can't raise the rents and you all of a sudden have someone who's, who's a problem tenant that you can't get rid of, why would you invest in that? And that's the thing that people don't understand. You don't have to put your money into real estate. So that money can go into other things. You're going to have people who are barely breaking even and their buildings might go into disrepair. It used to be that you had an incentive to improve your property 
because you could charge more rent for a better place. There's that you take, you've just taken that incentive away. So then what's going to happen is you're going to have less housing. So the very people that you think that you're trying to protect, you've just put them in a worse position. Well, thank you for sharing that perspective. We talk a lot at the chamber and in our work, you know, just about commercial property taxes and say commonly, like all roads lead back to property taxes yes. and have talked a lot about, you know, we we hear about rising rents and commercial districts and are very concerned about that and what that can do to our character in a neighborhood, our local independent businesses. But um, we also have mom pa property owners who are dealing with exponentially increasing commercial yeah. property taxes and have always wondered if there's a reform to the system that can include incentivizing property owners who choose to rent to local independent businesses and small businesses because there are a lot of property owners who will take that route whether you know rather than just um signing on to a new mattress store right. or whatever and, it may be and that's so the thing. it's so, helpful so, so to kind of close this up you know we're talking about it from an economic standpoint you can't tax people to death you can't take you know have them report to all these rent boards and still main still have to maintain their properties and then expect that to be a good deal for them that that's just not something that's even smart so well we've reached the point in our show when we ask our guests which andersonville business they would like to trade places with for a day it's definitely jameson loves danger i mean bring on the dogs <laughs> that's a great, great answer that's a great answer and they deliver for $5. I meant to take a picture of their sign in the window now. It says $5 delivery. It's a very cute sign. So. You know, it's funny. I I took advantage of that one time and all of a sudden this guy showed up in an Uber with a big bag of dog food. It was great. I thought, you know, dog food by Uber. Yeah. So yeah, it's great. It's a great store. Well, thank you, Shelly, for being here. And thank you for listening to Always Andersonville, the podcast. For more information about Shelly, please visit ShellyAve.com. Show notes on today's episode can be found at andersonville.org. Always Andersonville, the podcast, is engineered and edited by Andy Miles in Studio C at Transistor, a gallery, shop, performance, recording, and teaching space located at 5224 North Clark Street. Have your own podcast idea? The studio is available to rent. Please call Andy at 312-631-9408 or stop by the store for details.